Good day. This is Michael Muth of Going Global International Interviews. Today we're speaking with Ralph Stroja, President and CEO of Interpro Translation Solutions, in part one of a two-part interview on intercultural translation issues. You can learn more about Interpro at interproinc.com. And if you'd like to see edited transcripts of this interview, they're available at intlalliances.com and midwestbusiness.com. And it looks like we are recording. Okay. Speaking of Australia, President and CEO of Interpro Translation. And uh, just for your information, our assumption is that everybody's going to be able to go to your website to learn more about the company, so we can jump right into the question. Absolutely. Okay. Now, from my view, it looks like Interpro is the largest locally-based globalization, internationalization, localization, translation company in and around Chicago. Why is that? Good question. Um, I, I think it's it's pretty amazing given the market size in Chicago, the number of of companies, both traditional manufacturing companies as well as leading edge technology companies. I mean, you've got companies ranging from Wrigley Gum to you know NASDAQ building digital maps. You know, world leader in that. And I'm really really surprised. The only thing I can figure out, Michael, is that uh, our cold winter scares scares everybody off. Okay. It, yeah. Now, so in other words, I assume that these companies you're mentioning are clients of yours. Uh, one of them is NASDAQ. We do marketing translation for European languages, presentations. Um, we've done presentations for the users groups. We have not gotten into uh, translating or localizing the technology yet, but I'm hoping to make inroads there sometime soon. They're, they're, you know, merchandise markets are world headquarters, so... Well, I interviewed George Philly, who's one of their product marketing guys, a okay. months ago. Yeah. Wrigley's not. Um, love to get in there. Okay. Well, okay, but just so I understand you correctly, from what you're saying, it sounds like there is plenty of work, plenty of business to be done. Tons. Okay. Tons of work. Um, there is a big three in the localization industry. Mm-hmm. How active are they here, and how do you compete against them? Um, but from my perspective... I have not run into anybody local from Lionbridge here, so I do not know if they have a presence in Chicago. I, I imagine that any of the bigger companies have, have to have somebody here. Um, yeah, so. the SDL does. SDL does, and, and you know, my interaction with SDL obviously is from, they want to sell me more, more of their Travis products, um, Keymorts and, and the such. So I do have a relationship uh, with, with the person who's trying to sell tools. I doubt if that's the same person who's trying to sell services, but... We've not run into um, the people selling services here in Chicago, mm-hmm. um, nor from Lionbridge, nor from Brian's company at Claro. So uh, I don't know. Uh, okay, but then I guess in the other direction, there are a lot of small shops yes. doing this kind of stuff. How have you been able to grow beyond a small mom-and-pop shop kind of organization? Um, I think it really depends on the, the what your client base is. I mean, our clients, from the very beginning, um, were very large developers of application software, specifically for the AS400. I mean, we opened up Interpro with the, the target market of AS400 application software developers because of my background at SSA. So, you know, with that, you've got, you know, software programs that, you know, have hundreds of thousands of words that be translated, and you can't do that with a mom-and-pop shop. So you have to do it with a combination of some good in-house talent and some good partners overseas to get the work done. 
so that kind of dictates the the kind of uh, the size of your shop. Well, we're not a big shop, okay. Um, the way we're set up is, you know, we've got engineering, sales and marketing, project management, quality control, and desktop publishing and design based out of Lombard. Um, we've got sales and marketing that are based out of uh, San Diego with my partner, and then we've got Spanish localization done out of Rosario, Argentina. Everything else is done with our single language vendors, partners that are in country. Mm -hmm. So we don't have 40 German translators in Lombard. Sure. Uh, we've got 40 German translators in Berlin with our partner. But what we do is the engineering, uh, all the technical preparation, um, the you know obviously the sales and marketing and the quoting, customer follow-up, project management, which is very key to all this, and we do all of our own desktop publishing and design in-house. So, you know, that, that has worked very well for us with the level of projects that we get, which sometimes are very, very large. I mean, we're working right now on a project for our biggest client, which is Info Global Solutions, and the product per language is well over a million words that have to be localized into simplified Chinese, Japanese, Spanish, and Thai. You still are bigger than a lot of the other mom and pop shops around us. Yes. Yeah. We're not a two-person shop, you know, with an internet connection and you know an office in the basement. You know, we do have uh, a business office in Lombard. We do have 12 people there. We've got you know John out in California, and we've got depending on the projects, 10 to 12 people working out of Rosario. Mm -hmm. And you know, my tire a little bit. I'm sorry. Question, I'm but, sorry. Um, Slap me if I get ahead of you. Uh, but I was just wondering how aware the the specialty in AS400 now um, I-Series with IBM came about. That, that came about strictly because of my uh, position at SSA, System Software Associates, which now is part of Inform Global Solutions. When I started with them to start their translation localization department in 1989, uh, they were the largest developer of application software for the AS400 in the world. Okay, so they, uh, in the flagship product when I got there was BPIC, uh, Business Planning Control System, which I think now is called um, BPIC or ERPLX. And they also have a Linux version, ERPLN. Anyway, it's still out there. Um, and uh, I had come from a Unix background when I was with Intergraph Corporation, came to SSA. The Unix in 1989? Yes. 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 It was very high tech stuff. Intergraph was, you know, the, the CAD CAM, you know, the um, name Jim Bedlock, who founded the company, was part of the IBM team on the initial moon launch back in 1969. And when that was done, he went off and he founded Intergraph. But I got to SSA, largest developer of application software on the AS400. Um, so I got my, you know, my, my, um, uh, education, uh, kind of trial by fire. It's like, you know, you've got to get VPIC, the next version out in eight languages in five months. you got five months to do it. Oh, by the way, you got to put together a team because you don't have one. Okay? <laughs> so, uh, that's where my AS100 experience came, and that's where my experience with, or not experience, but the realization there was a need, a market need for somebody to do that with. Because every time I looked to outsource, uh, we just did primary languages of SSA. So we did, you know, French, German, Spanish, Italian, Japanese, Chinese. When we needed to do Russian or Polish or what we considered a, a secondary language. And how do you determine the difference between primary and secondary? Um, it, was, it was market driven. So it's where SSA's customers were. Um, Europe was their number one market, uh, period. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
you know, it, it, they would have sales that would outshine North America's almost every quarter. So Europe was the fastest growing, so obviously the main European languages were primary. Japan, very key market for manufacturing. China as well. Um, Taiwan, so we did both simplified and traditional Chinese. Excuse me, so even in 1989, yeah. Chinese was already a yeah. primary language? Yeah. Um, don't forget who the chairman, CEO, and founder was, Roger Colby. Roger Colby had a very deep personal interest in China, so much so that when he left FSA, when Larry Ford came on board, and Roger left, he was still on the board, um, he moved to China. He bought a house in China. He was very involved with a foundation that he founded, I believe in conjunction with uh, one of the professors at the University of Chicago, and funded that foundation, um, which was specializing in Chinese art history. So he was very, very interested in China. Um, and a visionary. And, and a visionary, yeah. And he knew it was going to be there. As I say, back in the early 90s, owned the ERP market in China. Period. I mean, there was no competition. Where do they stand now? I don't know. I do, I do, I do not know, really, uh, what the market share is. But SSA was a leader, and um, I was very good friends with the vice president of Asia, who was responsible for China, and he hired just a, a, a firebrand from IBM. His name was Jin Ye, and Jim really put SSA on the map in China. I mean, he just he just did it. But, but that's where my background came from in, in the realization that there was a need because every time, uh, which was once a year, we would take uh, the Polish version or the Russian version and we would translate all the program temporary pixels. Okay? It, you know, doing it once a year did not justify having um, a team of people there uh, because we also we didn't do the run doc or the online help, so they weren't very large projects. The, the, the user documentation, we called it run doc. <clears throat> so I would be needing to look for somebody who could do Arabic and who could do Russian and who could do Czech and who could do Finnish. And, um, and, and at that time, basically you had two choices, or I had two choices. The IBM Translation Center out of Copenhagen at the time, they would do that as a service. You paid for it. It was incredibly expensive, and it was very, very backlogged. So if you needed to get something done quickly, you were up the creek without a paddle. Um, or our SSA affiliates because they knew BPIC, they knew our product, they had AS400s, um, they, they had the, the engineering staff to run the AS400s, and they had a real need to get the product out. So they would, uh, I would, you know, go to them and, and negotiate with them and get a contract, and it's not that they would do the work because they were responsible for selling and supporting the product. I didn't want to take them away from that but get up with the local linguists, the local translation agencies, bring them in, get the translation done, get it verified, you know, validated, and let's get it out the door. Other than the SSA affiliates and IBM, there was nobody. So I thought, okay, here's, here's the market niche that I can go after that can get me to launch my business. And, you know, started in March of 1995, and within a week we had our first client. Okay. Um, now, thinking about localization, it's more than just translating the text and the words. So what do you at Interpro do to deal with the intercultural issues beyond just translating the text and words? Um, we're, we're not set up, you know, as one of those companies that will, you know, do expat 101. You know, you've got these, these cultural services. Exactly. You've got these companies that are set up to, to do that. Very useful service, and it has to be done. People who have never been overseas or they don't know how to act. You know, well, we're dealing with a product, 
And our, what I, Excuse me, but yes. that's what I'm getting to. I mean, there are date formats. Yes. There are yes. graphical things you need to be Absolutely. aware of. Colors, uh, different that's all different I, places. How do you deal with those intercultural things that are strictly communications-related mm-hmm. that you do deal with? Um, with the products that we localize, don't forget, we're doing them with in-country people, and our people in Lombard are, are Japanese, are native French speakers, are native Spanish speakers. So to them, that's their natural way of doing business. You know, the, the natural date format, the natural, you know, the 24-hour time, um, that's second nature to them. Um, of course, they're living here in the States, and they get more and more Americanized. But the, the teams that are doing the localization work are in Germany, are in France, are in Japan, are in Beijing, et cetera, et cetera. So they know what needs to be done. Plus, you know, we know what needs to be done because we know what we're doing. So in the work order, which accompanies every project, we specify exactly what needs to be done. Um, other things don't have to be specified. It's just the, the quality of the people that we're using. For example, um, we were doing a financial application for one of our clients. It was a client application, and it had a very graphical user interface. So um, the team leader from Japan sent an email, very embarrassed, that don't know what to say, but uh, I have to let you know, and I think we need to let the client know, that one of the graphics is, um, is, is very insulting. And it's like, oh, well, please, you know, tell me what it is, blah, blah, blah. And it was a symbol of uh, the way they used to symbolize their financial applications, which were two people facing each other, one person with his hand out, palm up. It said, that is, that to me, as a Japanese speaker, is means bribery. Ah, okay. ah, so contacted a client and said, hey, Matt, um, this is what our Japanese team is saying. Now, the Chinese team isn't saying this, so mm-hmm. we asked them afterwards, Specifically, hey guys, for you guys in China, is this you know negative or no? It wasn't, but it was for Japan. So they changed that graphic for the whole product. Whether it was for Japan, it was just didn't have any words to it. It was just a graphic. They did change that to I think um, some coins, something to, to indicate money. But those are the kinds of things that we'll be on the lookout for for our clients. It's not something that we charge them for. It's not something that we say we're going to do for them, but. As we're going through the, the applications, we'll do that. Um, the client will come to us, you know, like around Christmas time. Hey, Ralph, we translated our, our, you know, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year greeting into 30 languages. Would you mind taking a look at this? And this is one of those, you know, we don't want to pay for it, but, yeah, this client service. You know, sure, we'll take a look at it. You know, we've got a number of these languages in-house, so it's not going to, you know, be much, you know, I know. And then, you know, you tell them, say, well, you know, you have to really be pay attention to the, the accent and symbols because, you know, Feliz Ano Nuevo does not mean Feliz Ano Nuevo. You need a tilde over the N, otherwise, you know, it's Happy New Anus instead of Happy New Year. So you have to be real careful about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Send it back, and what happens when they sent this thing out? It was without the accent. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but well, don't say you didn't want them, though. But those are the kinds of things that um, those are the kinds of things that we'll be on the lookout for for our clients, without specifically saying, "Hey, we're going to do this for you." But yeah, we'll we'll our teams will be on the lookout for that stuff and let the clients know when there's a problem. Okay. Um, and I guess to get back to your the potential clients, your prospects, um, and the only reason I pulled this out, it didn't look like you had any foreign companies as clients. It kind of surprised me. Yeah. So where do you think foreign companies go? 
to get their localization translation done when they come to Chicago in the States? Because those could be good prospects for you. Yeah, they could be. 99.9% um, .9 of, of what we do is for U.S. companies that are going overseas. Mm -hmm. Okay, so from English out is, is you know, that, that's our business. We do once in a while get companies that have to go into English. It's not a big market for us. Uh, it's got to be a big market for them. Uh, we think that these companies are, and, and not, I'm just speculating here, I am sure that these companies are probably dealing with uh, either local companies that they trust mm -hmm. uh, because they're, you know, far more advanced with the knowledge of, of having to get stuff done, mm -hmm. having to get stuff translated than, than we do in the States. Um, you know, and, and then the partners of maybe some of the larger companies. So, you know, I, I really can't tell you exactly. Um, so you know, I don't tell if you cross paths with us or even, you know, very, very proposals uh, Although one of the, uh, although our very first client was a French company that did supplying for a McDonald's Corporation. Oh. Um, I forget what the name of that company was. But anyway, um, they had an Ash 100 application in French that had to go into English for the U.S. market, and that was our very first project. Yeah, very interesting. We, we've done stuff for our clients where a lot of their affiliates will develop um, in, in their language, um, like, for example, for Infor, they have affiliates in Latin America. One affiliate develops a program in Spanish and mm -hmm. add-on to the base product, mm -hmm. and Infor looked at it and they said, this is something that I think is very interesting and applicable for our client base. Let's get it translated into English, and let's take it from there so we can evaluate it. So we're, we're given that. But you're right. I mean, there, we, I don't know of, and I haven't heard in the country, in this country, in our industry, where you're getting a lot of high-volume projects from companies overseas. You think they're going well, into English? Well, the big guys, what, um, Lionbridge, I think it's based in the U.K., aren't they? SDL. Lionbridge is out in Boston. Okay. Um, SDL is in um, Maidenhead in the UK. So, you know, they, they probably have a very good pool of translators going into English. And it, it, it's into most languages. Back to Interpro. Um, I know that you have your Spanish translation and localization facility in Rosario, Argentina. Why there? Simply because I don't know Spanish well, but you know, I've got to believe Argentine Spanish is a little bit different from. Um, Spanish, Spanish, Mexican, Spanish, Venezuelan, Spanish, and so on. Why Rosario, Argentina? Um, I first went to Rosario in 1998, I want to say, 1998, mm -hmm. um, when we were interested in buying a company because Spanish, volume-wise, is our number one language. Mm -hmm. okay? Not revenue-wise, but in terms of pure number of words, Spanish is it. Um, and I knew somebody who was involved in business in, and had a service bureau in Rio. And he said, you know, this is, Rosario is a great place. He said, I've been there in business, I've been there. I was like, why? I had the same question you had. He said, because there is a, an excellent translation program. It's a three-year program. At the end of the three years, um, you, you get a degree in translation, mm -hmm. specifically in English to Spanish. Specifically, not French to Spanish, not German to Spanish, English to Spanish, and there are two different areas. You can get a literary translation, or you can get more of a technical translation. So, you know, very interested in the technical, obviously. And so, what down there, um, to just kind of... Excuse me, where is this article from Buenos It's a 45-minute flight, um, and I want to say it's northwest. 
but don't quote me on that. Um, it's a three-hour drive, a boring three-hour drive, um, because one time I drove it. I was going on there with a client. They wanted to visit our office. I said, you know, I don't want to drive it alone because even they say it's better not to be alone. But uh, if you have somebody, you know, just try it sometimes. So I thought, you know, going along the Paraná River it would be a nice scenic way and, you know, kind of like uh, driving through Wisconsin. <laughs> so it's you already seen the driving through the wall. Yeah, 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 definitely. But uh, yeah, so it's it's a three hour drive or a forty five minute plane ride. It's um, right on the Paraná River. Uh, it depends on who you ask. Probably about a population of a million. I believe it's the third largest city in Argentina. Um, but you've got this this school that's got this. Uh, there's also a program in Buenos Aires, and I don't know. If outside of Buenos Aires in Rosario you, you have a program, but you've got um, a, a very large pool of qualified, educated talent at affordable rates. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, cha-ching, this is like <laughs> perfect. Because mm-hmm. either you don't find the resources or you get the resources and they're incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. Here you've got enough resources that are very qualified, very educated, um, some of these people will have university degrees and they want to get in translation and go get a translation degree on top of a university degree. And some people go, will go directly from high school to the, um, I think it's called the uh, Instituto Superior de Educación. And um, so you, you, you have not only the large pool, but it, it continues to, you know, to, to, to continue to, to, be, to grow. And, and, you know, today, if you look at Rosario, you know, take a look at the companies that have just gone there, especially in this becoming like, you know, the localization center of Argentina. It's not Buenos Aires. You've got Moravia, who has started an office down there. You've got a consortium of Argentinian companies that have put together a cooperative, if you will, which has become very large. So if you're doing business in Latin America and you are a localization company, very likely you are either in Rosario or looking at Rosario. And I want to just say, for the record, we were there first. Berlitz was there, but they closed their office down. Why did they close it Because they also had their primary office for Latin American Spanish in Santiago, Chile. So they ran duplicate offices for a while, and for whatever reason, they decided to close down Rosario, which must have been the smaller office. And that's when the people that I knew who were with Berlitz um, called me and they said, Ralph, uh, we've got a team of 20 people that just got laid off. The office closed down. Um, do you have work for us? Right. <laughs> this was like about three years after I initially met them. They kept my information. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, yeah, well, Juan Carlos Quieta, he's our managing director now. And I said, Juan Carlos, I would love to. We just went through a horrendous experience with a company that we wanted to eventually be our office. So we wanted to go through a pilot with them because we weren't sure and it's just been, it's been one nightmare after the other. Can you have a team of seven to ten people, mm-hmm. translators, I don't need desktop publishing right now, translators working with Trotos, mm-hmm. right? Because you need to use Trotos, and could, he said, um, I'll call you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's how we got started. That was in 2001. Mm-hmm. And it worked so well with that project, but Paul and Carlos did, we had to run around. There was no high-speed internet or reliable high-speed internet at that 2001 in Rosario. Mm-hmm. So he physically was going from translator to translator, collecting translation memories, updating files, swapping them. The poor guy. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it was not reliable. And and if you did, it wasn't high speed. So if you had anything that was of any size, I mean, you know, you think of translation memory, and you know some of the translation memories that we're working with are quite large. So it's just kind of hard to envision the pre-internet era. Yeah. Very very difficult. Very difficult. So. Um, yeah. Now, now it's you know we still have we still have the uh, the emails or the instant messages that, that come along. Uh, Ralph, uh, storms coming. Um, anticipate electricity being out for three hours. If you need anything, you know, please call me. That, we'll still have those kinds of things. Or uh, you know, but um, when we switched offices uh, because we we outgrew them the first office, so uh, you know, having to wait nine months for telephone service. What? Why? I said, I don't understand this one, Carl. He said, well, the fiber optic cable that they need to lay down keeps getting stolen. <laughs> okay. In other words, they're not just skipping the wireless. Well, this was four years ago when we moved into this other office, so I, I don't know. No, now in our office right now, we've got high-speed Internet and we've got a wireless network within our office in Rosario. So... Um, so yeah, we have been down there. As I said, we have had an office or a presence down there since 2001. These larger companies like Moravia, uh, I think they just established our office or they're in the process of establishing it now. But it's become a hotbed of localization, translation in Latin America, not just Argentina, but in Latin America. And it was interesting to me because I came across a company it was the Search Engine Optimization Show, mm-hmm. software development facility in Santiago, Chile, mm. which kind of surprised me, mm. and I've been intending on following up with them, you know, talking about it and so on, Yeah, I guess you speak with people who have more operations in, in Rosario. I, you know, look into Rosario, I mean, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword because it was a nice little, you know, nobody knew about it, um, you know, now we, like every other localization company or translation company down there, compete for resources, things have gone up. So rents are going up. What used to be dirt cheap is now just cheap. Okay, and, and, you know rates to the translators are going up, but uh, it's it's very good, good quality. Um, you've got a real good work ethic, and I'm amazed every time I go down there because I try to practice my Spanish, but their English is so much better. It's disgusting, <laughs> and and they don't you know it's not like they've lived overseas. You've got some people who have never been to an English speaking country, and their English television down there. I'm trying to think. I never got it in the hotel, so I stay there. Yeah? Yeah. Because, I mean, I think it's Sweden, and I tried to learn Swedish, yeah. and Forget it. people have to. Forget it. And, you know, I mean, I think it's kind of, you know, yeah. 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 yeah, or you go to Holland, you know, and you're watching TV, and everything's in English, and they have subtitles in Dutch for the people who don't understand English, the, the two or three in the country. But, uh, no, I don't remember getting English TV. Maybe there was a channel or two. But, um, you know, certainly a lot of these people don't have CNN or HBO or, or English language programming. They're just, they're just good. They're very talented people. Very fun to be around. Uh, it's a good group. Good group of people. Um, last question. I'll invite you to our office. I'll invite you down to the federal office. And when you're planning your trip, let me know. Um, just the thing I'm curious about here. How do you differentiate between partners and customers? Because it's just in reading some of your press releases on your website, it looks to me like you know, Interpro partners with this person, but it sounded like they were really a customer. 
what's the difference? We, okay, we don't differentiate. Like, it, w- it would be more of the client who would differentiate. We, we try to establish partnerships. We try to work in partnership with whether it's a client that we're doing services for or whether it's one of our partners, you know, traditionally your vendors. Okay, maybe Trotus could be a vendor. I tell you what, Trotus was was a partner in the early days of Trotus, and they got so big, you know, those are the days where you could just, you know, you talking about 1996, where, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with Trotus version 1.1a, and you come across a bug, and you, you, you just, you know, you have Yakum's personal email, one of the founders, and you just, you know, say, hey, Yakum, I ran across this, you know, and I don't know why it's happening. Here's the file. This is what the error message was. Could you look at this? And the next day, you'd have a fix, right? Those were the days. Then, you know, they grew so so fast. Uh, then Microsoft took a piece of them, and, you know, then that level of personal partnership was gone. And so, but, you know, you do have clients. We do have clients that we really feel... You know, we have partnerships with. We we are an extension of their development team. They are they trust us. They will call us up. They will ask us, you know, things. And it's not just you know, it's not just dollars and cents. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the client that kind of defines how how much, you know, what I mean, how, how far they want to go with you. You know, other clients are very it's just it's a professional relationship. They have a need. They're happy with our service. They you know release the PO. They give us the stuff. We pull it on it and we start. Follow up. Be happy. Yes, everything's delivered on time. But you know, then you've got the you know other relationships that uh, you know. I, I still deal with. Just spoke with um, uh, a client that we started with in 1997. Lacey Technology. They just got bought by Vision Solutions. Okay. Uh, that happened last week. Just last week. Well, no, this just happened a couple of days ago. In fact, it wasn't even last week. Um, and yeah, they got bought up by Vision Solutions, but we are still doing business with Lakeview. And the very first person that I dealt with at Lakeview ran into one of our sales guys at an ITA event last week, and said, "She said, oh, you know, tell Ralph to give me a call." And this was the day before it broke, so she didn't even know. And it's like, you know, call her and we're going to have lunch and, and talk over old times. But, you know, that, that was a very, very good, very close relationship with all the people that, that we buy services from that you would consider they're a vendor. We don't, we don't see them as a vendor. We see them as a partner. Uh, and we try to treat them as a partner. You know, it's, we're very careful about who we do business with. Um, we like to have, you know, some of our partners uh, we've been partners with for over uh, 11 years, for example, um, Texas Loans is our partner in Germany. They're based in Berlin, mm-hmm. and you know, I Kim can call me at home um, when she and Thomas, the other managing partner from the Chicago, can stay at our house. Uh, when I go to Berlin, which if she reads us, she's gonna laugh because I don't get I don't get there as often as, as they get over here. But, um, gone to football games together, and, uh, you know, she's from Canada. Some of us are from Germany. Did she go? Uh, I don't... No, no, I didn't go. I'm not a soccer fan. I'm a Bears fan. Okay? American football. Um, but I did get a T-shirt from them, um, the Germans, the official uh, T-shirt. So they were very nice about sending that. Uh, but we, we have a very good, very close relationship. We use the same tools. Um, we think the same way towards clients. You know, it's not just dollars and cents. It's really providing a solution to the clients. Um, and that's the kind of partnership that we are looking for. 
So, you know, she can feel free to call me up and say, hey, Ralph, I need, can you do this? You know, it doesn't have to relate to the business. Okay, it could be a personal favor, and I'd be very happy to do it, just like, you know, they would be very happy to do it for us. So, um, so you know, we want to work with, whether it's a client or whether it's a vendor, we want it to be a partnership. Yeah, I guess from my perspective, it's hard to tell. kind of pet peeve is sometimes people mm. call their customers partners. Yes. And, and there's a difference. Yeah. Now, it sounds like for you, there is more of a basis for partnership with some of these clients. Yes. If you're getting involved in the development process. But it's just some people, it's just kind of a... A little word. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's not. I mean, I and, and some of the clients I would not say we're a partner with. You know, I would be very selective, and that's, as I said, it's based upon what the public client feels about it. And we want to work that way with everybody because we feel it's the best way to work all the way around. Okay, moving along to the globalization, internationalization, localization, translation industry, um, it seems to me that it's pretty fragmented. In other words, there are essentially three big players, then a lot of relatively small guys. How do you see that changing in the future? I recognize there was some consolidation a couple of years ago. It appears that stopped. No, it's starting up again, Michael. Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. Uh, me. Yes. It's, uh, it's starting up again, and... Why do you why now, then? I think a lot of these companies, you know, SDL is a public company. Lionbridge is a public company. Um, in order to feed... I guess you would say their appetites, you know, they got to keep the stockholders happy. They have to have, a, uh, you know, profitable quarters. They need to continue to grow. They're not going to be able to do it organically. The, the only way that they're going to be able to do it is to buy other companies. They're going to have to basically take the middle market companies, okay, the, not the mom and pops, not the interprobes because we're, we're too small. We're not going to be on the radar. But you're going to have companies that um, if you – you subscribe to the Common Sense Advisory Global Watchtower? I've gotten it. To be honest, I think I might have fallen off the list because I don't remember getting it recently. Yeah. Get it again. It's really good. Um, you know, whenever they have uh, a notification, you get an email and you go to it. And, yeah, and that's some of those guys that believe Renato that. Beninato? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Don DePalma? Palma. you're in the great couple years Yeah, ago. yeah. Um, but they're, you know, they're very focused on our industry. And they keep tabs on everything that's going on. They've got very, very good um, insight into what's going on. Sure. Um, they publish the top 20 localization companies as, as best they can. You know, they piece together revenue, and of course, the public companies have to divulge what, what the revenues are. But, uh, they'll put together the top 20 every year, and, and you'll see. You know, it'll go from you know Lionbridge, you know, several hundred million to SDL, you know, a couple hundred million, and then all the way down to. Um, I don't know, maybe number 20 will be 11 to 12 million. So I think those companies um, are going to get doubled up. There's going to be a consolidation of that. But you know, more importantly, what's been going on lately is a consolidation of companies like SDL buying software companies. They just bought, uh, well, they bought SDL, Trotos. They bought Trotos last year, last year or two years ago, two years ago maybe. Um, they just uh, recently bought a content management uh, software company called Tridian. My understanding years ago was localization is going to be subsumed by the content management. Mm. Has that mm. No, 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 no. There's been what has been is has been a lot of, and I hate the word, excuse me, partnerships 
between localization companies and the content management providers. Okay, so Idiom, you know, may have a relationship with, you know, company ABC, and Interwoven would have a relationship with XYZ. And what's happening now is you've got, you know, Mark Lancaster went ahead and he bought Trinity. So, you know, he doesn't have partnerships. They might still have partnerships, but I doubt that the other content management people are going to sit by and, you know, still partner with SEL because they have their own product now. Um, you know, they just bought, so they bought Toronto, they bought Tridian, they just this week announced the, that they bought Pasolo. Pasolo is a localization tool, it's what they call one of these um, visual localization tools, so you can translate or localize software, you know, what you see is what you get, it allows you to translate in context, um, and we've been using Pasolo for several years, excellent tool. SDL just, you know, no one saw it coming, and, you know, here they are, they, they buy Pasolo, so... I don't know. Looks like a change in relationship with SDL. Well, you know, it's very difficult. We've got what is technically a competitor who owns the tool that we're basing our services on. Um, you know, the industry is pretty much standardized on products. You know, there's some people that would go out and, and get Deja Vu um, and some of the other tools, but basically, you know, products is the industry standard. And, you know, SDL bought Trotto. So a lot of companies, a lot of people were after Mark Lancaster to say, you know, we're very uncomfortable with this, you know, getting dead kind of situation where, you know, you're technically a competitor and, you know, we're using your tool. How are you going to use this against us? It's like, he's like, no, 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 you know, no, I, I want that. I merge it with SDLX and I want to have the best tool out there for everybody and one big happy family. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is uncomfortable. Uh, you know, we're pretty self-sufficient. Meaning we don't really depend on, on support because we've been using it now for over 12 years. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't really know what, you know, what changes have taken place, if, if anybody knows. We haven't noticed because we had so little interaction with, with Trotto uh, in, in the last couple of years. Uh, Pasolo, again, very good group of people. You know, you, you write Florian a message and say, hey, Florian, we need to do this. Can you do this? And when will it be integrated in the product? And get an email back the next day, you know, or that night, because it probably works all night, um, and giving you your answer. But, you know, that's going to change, obviously. You know, you can't do that kind of thing anymore. Of these mergers and acquisitions, but Trotto said we was originally a German originated yeah. product. Correct. I mentioned Pasolo. German. Florian. So it's not like there's a lot of international M&A going on here. Are a lot of these tools coming from outside of the United States, or are any of them being generated inside the United um, States? Solo was, was, was developed in Germany. Mm -hmm. Trados was developed in Germany. Mm -hmm. I believe Deja Vu is developed in Spain. Mm -hmm. um, TTT, which is the product that we uh, use to localize AS400 user interfaces, was developed in Holland. Um, I'm hard-pressed, hard-pressed, I'm, I'm trying to think as you're asking me, um, I don't think so. None of the ones that we're using in Interpro. I mean, is that any kind of failure on our part? Should we be worried or concerned about that, or does it even matter? I, I, I don't think it's, it's, I don't think it's failure. I think mm -hmm. it's um, a reflection of, you know, historically the need has been in Europe to get things in different languages. And we have not had that historical necessity. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote a commentary for the business ledger here, um, you know, and saying you can drive, you, you go to MapQuest, you can drive from Stockholm, Sweden, down to Madrid, Spain, or something. And in the same distance, you could probably drive from 
Seattle to Montreal. Mm -hmm. In that in that space and time, you will um, you will encounter two different languages, English and French. And you know, from Sweden, you're going to go down and you're going to encounter probably six or seven different languages. So you know, the necessity you drive from Amsterdam, it takes you what an hour to drive to the German border. Uh, or maybe not that much, but you know, you already have a need to know German. So there was this need there that we didn't have. Um, you know, they've been translating. They've had a need to translate, and, and you know, uh, obviously everybody in human nature would want to do it faster and easier, and you know, with less sweat. Um, they just seem to have developed some really good tools to get it done. Uh, Michael Nobia, the director of Lisa, Chicago, mm -hmm. said. Historically, Europe did have the advantage, but in his view, the advantage is swung to American companies. And I assume his view is because of the technology, you know, database management, you know, some of the oh. technical things. The underlying operating system for these tools is, is Windows. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, the underlying operating system for TTT is OS 400. I mean, you know, that's an IBM product. So, underlying technology, could they have made it happen without American know-how? I yes. I would say yes, but they wouldn't have been able to do it so quickly and so successfully. It would have taken them longer to, to get something that, you know, is as successful as it is today. But, um, yeah, they're... So they kind of touch both ways. Yeah. The Internet is, I mean, that's, that's the, uh, the great equalizer. That's the great equalizer. That's, that's what's really, really brought it all together. Well, we'll get to that in a couple minutes. But that's Al Gore. He's an American. Right, he invented it. Yeah. He'll, he'll, he'll tell you. Yeah, if you look at Al, he'll tell you he, he developed the uh, International Superhighway, right? Or the, what do you call it? The information. Yeah, information Superhighway. Exactly. Um, I'm just being facetious. Al, he might be getting back into politics. He might need that again. That's true. You never know. All right, well, if I am a, a software company or whoever looking to localize, what's more important? The knowledge and experience a localization company has of technology, of language, or of business? Um, what's more important, knowledge, experience, and technology, language, or business? I think it depends on what, what are you after. Are you talking about from, for a... In other words, if I'm a client looking at DigiPro okay. as a competitor, okay. should I evaluate your language ability versus your technology ability versus your business? What is your product or service is what I would ask. Um, I would say that I would be looking for... Uh, technical experience. I'm just going from when I was sitting at SSA and I was looking for a company to do what I needed done, probably my number one priority was I needed people who understood the technology of the AS400 platform. Okay? Mm -hmm. Those people could get the language people and could direct and train the language people on what they needed to do. So you could get um, somebody to translate an S400 screen in a function key where F12 equals cancel. You could get the, the technical people to set it up so that all that person needed to do was 
put in French annuité or cancel, okay? So I would say in that case, technology and then language school, okay? Um, what pieces would that change? Well, I think if you're doing marketing material, okay, so, so the people that we would use for a, an S-400 localization project would be different than the people that we are using to, for example, translate a marketing brochure or uh, a marketing presentation to a French users group for NASDAQ. Mm-hmm. or Japanese users group. It's, it's uh, very marketing-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, we also do a lot of the marketing materials that, uh, you know, that they have agreements with BMW and Audi and Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. So when they do marketing pieces to feature, hey, you know, we've integrated NASDAQ technology into the BMW 5 Series. They do spend a lot of money on the layout. They do really look gorgeous. It's, you know, four-color spreads and, it might be several pages and, um, you know, really you're leading at. But that's, you're still talking hard copy stuff. No. Well, it's, they do hard copy. They do it in print, but they also post this stuff to their website. Okay? okay. But it's a different animal to translate that piece on uh, BMW into Canadian French than it would be to translate an ERP application program um, into Canadian French. So, so the BMW, then it would be language first? It would be language first, yes. Technology or business second? Is that bad? Technology second, mm-hmm. I would say, because, you know, we're still getting this stuff into um, a format. People are still using Quark for Mac, um, or they're still using Photoshop. So, you know, with, with the way we translate, though, we're getting everything into a format that can be translated by Travis. Okay? So by the time it gets to you, the French-Canadian translator, you're translating an RTF file, maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay? So you don't know that it's eventually going to be a fork uh, for Mac file. Mm-hmm. But then that's where our in-house desktop publishing would, would come in. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I think number one in that case, the most critical is going to be to be able to translate marketing material, which, you know, is more of a rewrite than a translation anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're translating an ERP application software package, you know, purchase order, you've got too many ways you can translate purchase order. Well, okay, I guess in that case then, is there an instance where your business knowledge, your knowledge of their business is most important in what you do. So you give them one where technology is most important, language is most important. I think that it would, I'm trying to think of, in our experience, if we're translating several products for the same company, and, and that does happen, um, there's going to be some knowledge required of the company's product line and how the different products work so that when we're translating one of the products and there's reference to another, mm-hmm. then it's going to be, yes, we know the company's business. Um, we've got some knowledge of other products that they've done, and in that case, yes, you know, the, the business would be more important. Mm-hmm. Obviously, for like the service providers, having a business background is, is important because ultimately you're in it to uh, not be a non-for-profit organization. Yeah. Sometimes it works out there. When you're defined as non-for-profit. That's good, yeah. Interpose not, so well, we try yeah, not to be not-for-profit organization. Yeah, I mean, charities are fine as long as they define up front that they're charities. Yes. And if you're a de facto charity and you don't want to be Yeah, I know. Thank God we're, we're, we're doing okay. Um, I think one of the recent trends on the Internet these days is proliferation of online media. How does that affect guilt? Um... You know, take the example of what we do for a company like NASDAQ. 
Okay, so we, we, we do this material that they will print. Um, they will also put it online. From our standpoint, you know, all it means is we're going to give them back a quark file for the Macintosh, and we're going to give them a high-resolution PDF that they can put on their, their website. Okay. It could be for marketing documents. It could be for technical literature. It could be for online health. A lot of the help that we do now is web-based health. It's HTML health. Um, how we translate it, though, is is not that different. I mean, we're going to prepare the file for translation with Trotos. There are going to be codes in there. Uh, the codes are going to be in the background that the translators can't touch. So they're not going to be able to do anything and mess those up what the translators are dealing with are words. Now, some of the codes in the background are useful for them so they can tell how to translate, especially when there's word order that has to happen. But, you know, basically whether it's going to go to print or whether it's going to go online or whether it's going to go just on a PC. Look, with MathTech, you know, they create dynamic math based mm -hmm. on GIS content. Right. Is that dynamism, does that impact you at all? You know, the fact that they create things on the fly. Um, the only impact, and it's the same thing with software, is, you know, at some point in time you have to cut loose and say, okay, i got to translate now. Mm -hmm. So at some point in time you've got to say, this is done, it may only be for today, mm -hmm. uh, go ahead and translate it and you're going to get an update tomorrow. Mm -hmm. that, that's, you know, that happens and that's been happening in the software world for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and we're in the middle of translating a, a, a very large product and, you know, the, the code is not been frozen yet. So we're translating beta versions because once they cut off with the final version in another two months, they want to go to market with a simultaneous shift of English and the foreign language software and online help. So what we're doing is we're translating now the software, which is not final, and we're translating the help, which is not final, Thank God with tools like Trados, okay, when they do give us the final version in August, we're going to be able to run that through, and anything that hasn't changed, of, of course, the translate is going to, you know, just, just go on to a string that has changed, so it's going to be much faster. It's going to allow us to do a simultaneous shift for them when they get everything out at the end of August. Okay. And I guess, you know, there's a lot more audio and video. That's going to be a lot more. A lot and more. It's just, granted, you know, the audio, the music isn't going to change. Is there anything around that to change for you? Or have you guys had anything to do with YouTube? And, um, no, not YouTube yet. Um, uh, most of what we've done has been lately webinars, where you've got a corporate presentation, uh, and there will be a slideshow that's, that's in a WMV file, so it will be for uh, you know dissemination on the web. And they want to make this available in different languages. So... We, we have, you know, traditionally that has not been something that we started out doing, you know, multimedia localization, uh, but our clients want us to be able to handle everything. So they'll come back and they'll say, hey, we need this webinar translated. Okay. Well, we've got enough experience, we've got enough in-house expertise that we know what we need to do and actually um, just finished one now into Latin American Spanish and Brazilian Portuguese. Uh, you know, it's, it's a 20-minute, 20 25-minute English presentation, and it's 30 to 35 minutes by the time we're done translating it into the different languages. So, you know, you've got uh, the English presentation, you know, screens change at strategic moments as the speaker is 
the moderator or the narrator is speaking. So we have to be aware of that with the Spanish and the Brazilian Portuguese. But, uh, yeah. Um, with webinars, can you prepare them beforehand so that the Spanish speakers can see the Spanish presentation as it's being given, or do you do yeah. post presentation? It's been post. Okay. Uh, everything we've been we've been doing has been post. Mm -hmm. um, so they will have the English. At some point in the future, I got to believe you're going to be able to get yeah. to a point where you can, you know, do a pre Yeah. Or sure. Uh, sure. Um, videos. Um, we have done training videos. We're doing a lot of com uh, computer-based training right now. Mm -hmm. uh, we're we're just finishing up a very large computer-based training project, which involves audio. Um, so we're getting more and more, yes, five language project. That one is French, German, Spanish, Dutch, and Brazilian Portuguese. Um, and it's, uh, it's an internal computer-based training course uh, for one of our clients, and we did it previous years. This is the third time we're doing it, and this is the first time that they've asked us to actually do the voiceovers, so do the recording in the languages. So you've got the... We've got talent within our partner base and within our in-house base, uh, in-house employees. So we've done it. We, we always ask the question, do you want this done professionally? Okay, because there's two ways of doing it. You know, a webinar, is it's not professionally done, you've got somebody, you know, who is the head of development who is talking and they're not a professional actor. You know, Bob Warman, I'm sure, is all over. Yeah, right. <laughs> sure. But we always ask the question to the client, and we always let them know, if you want this done, you know, profession, with professional talent, in a studio, we can do it for you. Understand it's going to be many times more expensive, it, you know, and we give them the option. Or we can do it with, you know, we do have software with a PC and a very nice microphone in an enclosed room. We can do it that way as well. You know, usually they look at the price and they say, ah, yeah, the mic and the PC is fine. Because it is very expensive. If we have to go to a studio, we've got partners that do just that. They have professional talent. They've got professional studios. Uh, in fact, I was just out to visit one last Friday, and I was amazed. Never heard of these people. Never knew that they existed, and I'm just wowed by what they do. So we, we, we can do it both ways. Um, I guess moving on to other skills issues. Is it possible for people to avoid some localization translation issues by doing more of their website marketing materials those kinds of things? graphically yeah. as opposed to using a lot of words and text. And yeah, and they should. A picture is worth a thousand words, right? Mm -hmm. If, you know, and we tell our clients, if you can avoid making graphics with text on them, please go ahead and do that. It, mm -hmm. It's much more expensive for you. It's much more of a headache for us, not from the standpoint that, you know, we don't want to do it takes long because the client's ultimately paying for it, but it's just, when we get to the point where you, Michael, you want us to translate this, Michael, get us the layered graphics. The what? The layered graphics. Go to your design people. And typically, they can't find it, or they have a hard time, and it slows everything down. So our recommendation, when we tell people, when we say, hey, we're developing a new product, we'd like you in on, or a new website, we'd like you in on the ground floor, help us to design this so that it's going to be easily translatable. And we tell them, if you've got graphics, and you can avoid putting text in them. Or if you're doing a document and you've got, you know, all your little things, like, you, you know, you got your little icons that say note on it, forget it. Find an icon that looks like a note. Mm -hmm. So in any language, they can look at it and it says note. Or, you know, you have a stop sign, red, you know. Without even necessarily naming the client, can you give some examples 
of where it's been easier for a client to do that as opposed to using Autotech? Um, we've got clients, for example, we do uh, tech pubs translation and desktop publishing for Zebra Technologies. Mm -hmm. Okay, 29 languages. Mm -hmm. And they have, they are very, very good at content reuse. They're experts probably more than Adobe at developing um, manuals in FrameMaker and using um, conditional text and basically getting the most out of what their technical writers have to do. Um, they are very good about any of the uh, indications that are inserted within a document, uh, they don't have to be localized. Uh, in fact, I don't think we localize any graphics for Zebra. We've got it to the point that if, if it's stuck into a document, obviously the content we are translating, but anything that's graphical in nature, um, it does not have to be localized. And their, and their website is, as well. I mean, their website is very clean from that standpoint where if there's a graphic up there, it's without text. It does not have to be translated. It's, it's very self-evident what, what they're pointing to. Uh, so that's a, that's a good example of one. Uh, then we got other examples of it. I won't go into well, yeah, actually, there I won't are go far more. Yeah, but but you know that's what we recommend. I mean, it's it's very expensive for for them to do. You know because we have to have it's not a translator that can do it. We have to have a desktop publisher or a design person go in there. Uh, if you don't have the source, you know we have to try to replicate it somehow and you know reproduce the text and try to match it up with the font. It's it's, it's horrendous. So, okay. um, is guilt. Any difference for B2B versus B2C, at least from your perspective? You know what? From my perspective, we're, we're doing B2B. Uh, I don't... Tell me what... The, give me an example of what you need for example, B2B. I really like to look at your client list and saw that Hilton Hotels is there. Mm -hmm. um, and Hilton you know, a couple other organizations which I would consider more B2C than the Zebras, which are B2B. Okay. And I'm just wondering if there's anything that differs there. From what we've been doing, no. I mean, it's it's, it's content that's that's different. Obviously, the the NASDAQ stuff. There's a lot of um, yeah, B2C stuff as well. Um, you know, wh whatever we're trying to do, we are trying to pair the best potential resource to do the work um, for for that particular circumstance. That that's what it boils down to. Um, and you know, our partners, whether it's Somebody that comes along, client that comes along, and they say, "Hey, we need somebody to uh, do German to Hungarian automotive translation work. We've got some manuals that have to go from German to Hungarian. You know, we will depend on our partners. So, you know, go to Kim and I'll say, "Hey, Kim, this is what's on our plate right now. Where do we stand with resources that can do this kind of stuff in German and Hungarian?" But um, you know, I look at the, the Hilton stuff that we do, and you know, we, we work a lot with a company called Career Currency. Um, and that's more B2C. Um, it's, from our standpoint, no, it's just carrying the right resources. So we're using the same tool. We're using the same process. You know, we, we're, whatever it is, something has to be engineered, uh, get into a format that can be translated with the, uh, one of the Trados tools. Um, we're going to send it to our partner to get the translation done with the best possible resource, the most experienced for that subject area. Okay, I guess that's something I'm getting to. In other words, it's not necessarily that translators who translate B2B stuff are necessarily transferring 
No, 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 no. In that regard, they, it would be absolutely. It's, it, it, yeah, it's just like who's going to do the marketing materials versus the, um, you know, the, you know, an online CBT, uh, uh, human resources related uh, uh, course. So you know, people who specialize in financial. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and we've got those specializations. There's no doubt about it. Um, one of the, it, a lot of the specializations are created by the market demand. Um, our partner in Japan had never done ERP uh, or a lot of ERP localization until they got up with us, so we became a partner with them, and then all of a sudden they've got more than, you know, than they ever had, and, and they're happy. I think they're very happy with it, but they now have an expertise. Uh, our partners had, had never had uh, any AS400 experience, our partners. So what we had to do is we had to create our partner base that could do your AS400 localization. So, again, partnership. We will send out our, one of our TTT experts to your office. You can, or you can send, you know, one of your people over by us. But, you know, we want to train the trainer. So we can send somebody out that will train four to five different people. You know, we'll pay for the travel. We'll pay for our person. We're not going to ask you to pay for anything. We'll pay our own lodging and everything else. You just make the people available for, you know, a week so we can come and train you guys, and then you guys are able to take on AS400 projects and give you another expertise. See, we don't own these companies. They're, they're, they're standalone companies, so they're also looking for um, marketing their services and looking out for their clients. And I said, hey, guys, here's, you know, here's the value add for this. You'll be doing work for us whenever we have AS400 work, but you now are maybe one of the few if not the only localization company in France or in Germany or in Italy that can handle AS400 user interfaces. So it's a plus for you. So, and that's what it is. So without fail, it, it, it works like that. that that's what we'll do. I'm curious about the AS400 stuff, though. I mean, it's been around for, what, 18, 20 years. It's going on 19. Well, okay. How long is the AS400 business going to last? Um, you know what? It's not the majority of our business cycle. It, it is not the... In years past, the revenue was much higher from AS400. Um, a lot of the companies that, you know, like SSA, like Mapix, um, that exclusively had AS400 products then had to develop client products or they bought other companies rather than developing from scratch. So, you know, the, the, the program that we localize now for Infor, so what we're currently doing now, is much bigger than what we've done AS400-wise for them for many, many years. The S400 itself is a very stable platform. You know, many people have written this obituary in past years and say, oh, my God, this is going nowhere. I mean, I was at SSA when Larry Ford came on board and said, no, we're going to be open systems. We're not going to be tied to the S400 exclusively. We're going to have uh, an HP version, a Unix version, open source version of DPix, and, um, you know, and, and the S400 is still around. It's a very stable platform. It's a very, much more than stable, I think, right now, is it's very secure. People have found out in this, the, the age of the Internet, uh, when you've got hackers trying to get into your back doors and trying to get into your company, it's extremely difficult because the S400 is a very, very secure platform. A lot of people put a high premium on security and stability. You know, S400 doesn't crash and, you know, pop up this thing, you know, do you want to send the, the error message to uh, for us to look at? You don't get those. So it's it's around. It's, it's I think it's going to stay around. And IBM is doing a lot of things to to promote it. You know, they've got the the um, 
the new version, you know, now they call it the System i5. It went from AS100, i-series, to now I think it's the System i5. They continue to invest in it uh, and to make it more accessible for users. I took a few years ago. Sure. It was kind of predicting its demise. Absolutely. It really happened yet. Nope. So it has not happened yet. It has not happened. Um, you know, we're still doing business. We're about to start this uh, new project with Agilitas. That's an AS400 application um, that they're going into to Macau with. So, it's not dead. I don't know. I didn't ask. I, I will ask Paul if we can mention it. We haven't really started on it. We're still in the contract phase. But yeah, I'll I'll check with them tomorrow with that. And I guess another way to slice and dice localization. Are there any differences with how you localize for application software developers versus for manufacturers versus for service companies? Uh, in terms of the methodology, the process, the the, the the main okay. Well, what is different between it, it, these manufacturers and service companies? I mean, I would the the, the what it is 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 important because again, you want to match the the most qualified resources, uh, you know, to get the best, most accurate, most you know, latest and greatest terminology, the, the best translation possible. Um, it, probably, what would you know? It's going to be the, the the way the content is presented. What, not, the format of it. If you're working with an application software developer, you know, there are people out there that, for example, for Merck, what we get is an S400 save file. They just send us a save file. They don't bother extracting anything or they just, they know we have an S400. They know we have the engineering staff. I'm oh, sorry. Um, I don't want to answer it. I think there it goes. Okay. Um, so we'll get a save file from her. They just know we're going to have. We're going to put it on our AS100. We're going to use uh, our tools to extract the terminology. We're going to get the translation down and send it back to them. You've got other people who are very close. They play close to the vest. The developers, they maybe never worked with a localization company before, and what they're going to do is they don't want anybody to touch the code, so they're, they're not going to give you anything. They're not going to give you their source code. They're going to go and extract everything to Excel file, and you're going to translate it out of context in an Excel file, okay, um, to people who will give you a, a, an ESC and a DLL, set of DLLs. They'll say, give me back the German and French and Japanese DLLs and, and executable. So... Uh, it, how you get it is going to differ. Um, you know, we're dealing with now a, a, a very traditional manufacturing company, very conservative, okay, and translating a bunch of materials into Spanish for them. And what they've done is they want, they, they've put everything into a columnar format, and they want to basically put together the documents themselves. They don't want us to mess with the desktop publishing or anything. So. They provided the English. They've done a lot of work ahead of time engineering this. So each paragraph is, you know, just put the Spanish translation next to each English paragraph, and we'll piece everything back together. So and create their own translation memory document. They'll get the translation memory because you know everything we do is done with Trados or or TTT or Patrol, and you know our, our company philosophy is that translation memories are owned by the client. You know that's just 
the way I've always thought. You know, we wouldn't have created the memory if we hadn't done the job. Um, you know, other companies have different philosophies, but uh, so we'll get the translation memory back. I, they, they've never done anything like this before, so it's in a different format. So you've got to, uh, that, that's the main difference, um, I think. In addition to the content, what is being translated, the format that you get it back in. Okay. Uh, last question about the guilt industry. What are the trends in desktop publishing and marketing collateral? Um, well, obviously, everything that that is being done is being done for both, you know, whether it's, it's going to go on a CD-ROM or whether it's going to go on the uh, the web or whether it's going to be printed. It's, it's one format that people are going to be able to use in multiple places, okay? And more and more what I hear from the people who are developing the content is they're wanting to do everything in XML. It's, it's a great equalizer. You know, if we need to put it on the web, let's develop it in XML. Uh, we're going to do what we use FrameMaker. Well, you know, we can develop this in XML, and it can also go for our online media. And if we have to go to print, hey, it doesn't matter. Uh, they'll just develop everything in a very independent um, vanilla format that works for everything, and XML works for everything. So if you have to put it on your website, it's already in XML. If you have to print it out, it's XML. Put it on a TV, send it out with your latest product uh, delivery. That's what I'm hearing. And that's what our clients are telling us. I mean, I guess part of the reason I ask is, aside from TV review, it's been a while since I've heard the term desktop publishing. And, you know, I don't know how much people think of it except, I mean, I guess that's what it is. So, yeah. in marketing class, if people are creating stuff to go directly to print, mm-hmm. you know, they're kind of behind the times. And yep. they need to be producing stuff to go digital. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, they it depends on what the, the, the it depends on what their clients are wanting. I mean, we've got clients that that they tell us, you know, we we need to, we're going to go to print with it. We have to print traditionally because of who our our clients are. Okay, and we're like, fine, you know. But they're also making sure that, as I said, when we do this brochure, um, we work with a company. One of our clients is European Touch. Talk about specialized products. They manufacture, they're the world's most successful manufacturer of pedicure styles. Yeah, I heard about that. Did you? Yeah. Oh, on our website? Okay, because I had not heard from them. They're in Milwaukee. They produce the world's finest pedicure styles. For what they do, they need what we do for them, not only in, not only going to get it printed, especially printed, and I've got copies, right? if I had done, I would have brought them with me. They're beautiful pieces. But that piece also goes on the website. Okay? So it, it's, when we deliver, we deliver a quark for Macintosh file in French or Vietnamese or whatever language you're going into. And we're also developing a high-res PDF so that they can put that on the website. So even the, the going to print, you know, no one wants to anymore, but, you know, you may have to, depending on who your clients are. You, you, you're going to trade show. These people in this industry are expecting some kind of a printed piece of paper that tells them what's going on. And my impression is Adobe has been one of the big benefactors of the Internet simply because people still want to print. Yep. And if people want quality, they have to go to CDS yep. to be able to get quality for stuff. Yes, exactly. And Adobe was well positioned, and they've done really well. And <coughs> really, they really could have fallen yep. out of the way. And especially when you're dealing with multiple language uh, 
thing. I mean, you can't go to a normal printer and expect them to have a Japanese version of Quark. You, you just can't. So a lot of the things that we do, if we know it's going to print, you know, there's some additional questions. And, you know, we've got two people that do desktop publishing and design. And they're excellent. Um, they know the questions to ask. They know what has to be done. They know that a printer in, you know, in Chicago may not necessarily have the different language versions. So when the client tells us, no, 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 we need the, the Japanese uh, version. Of, we need a Japanese back and forth. Okay, does your printer have Japanese quark? Oh, no. Okay, then what we have to do is give it to you back in, in a specific format. And we'll also give it back as a high-res PDF so that your printer can open it or he can open it in the English version of quark because we'll have the text set a certain way that anybody can open it who's got an English quark. When you say printer, are you talking about a physical guy who goes to a press or, yes. you know, Canon, and whatever, which is loaded with the drivers that are required uh, to print these particular languages. Both. 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 Yeah. I, mean, I work for Europe. They're big different. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But, yeah, and, and, you know, and people have told us, too, because we went the way of, you know, we have a 12-page outdated brochure. I will admit it. Uh, it's outdated. It's on our website. It's, it's mine to do to... Uh, to bring that up to date, and I'm thinking, why do we want to print it? You know, we ran out of the last hard copy version sometime last year. And it's like, you know what, I don't think we need it anymore. You know, I don't want to go through the cost, and, you know, then it's, it's obsolete. It's obsolete. It's very expensive, but, you know, we've had people say, hey, we'd like to have a copy of it. Well, you know, go to our website. Here's the link. No, could you send us a... Well, you know, it's out of print right now. We're in the process of getting it done. Could you deal with the online version until we get that done? So I'm thinking we have to bite the bullet and, and do something again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, okay, so